Hi, everybody. Welcome to yet another edition of a Bible 101 Forum at Holy Communion. My name is Emily Walker Cornetta. For those of you I haven't met yet, I'm a seminarian um, on board at Holy Communion currently. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you all tonight, today, <laughs> whenever you're watching this, um, about biblical call stories. Um, as we'll see as we delve into this, uh, the call story genre, stories in which um, ordinary people have an encounter with God and are called by God to do really out of the ordinary things is kind of a subgenre of biblical literature. There's a pattern that these stories tend to follow um, that comes up again and again um, in the Hebrew Bible and is kind of repurposed in the, in the New Testament. Um, so, so we're gonna talk about some stories that fit this pattern. Um, and then we're also going to talk about a couple of stories that are, just to change it up and keep it interesting, stories that are outliers, call stories in the Hebrew Bible that um, don't follow anything like this pattern. And then um, spend a little time talking about what kind of questions um, these, these call stories that we've looked at um, invite us to consider. Questions about our own, like how are we may be feeling called by God personally, individually, collectively, how we experience that call, how we react to it, um, sort of put these stories in conversation with our own experience. So we're going to jump right in and first look at this pattern uh, that so many biblical, biblical call stories follow. So on the left, and I know some of you are, are, are listening to this and maybe not watching the video. So I'll say that on the left, there's a list of uh, character, biblical characters um, whose stories resemble the kind of pattern that I'm going to talk about. Um, the, it, the list includes Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jonah, Zechariah, and then, sorry, in the New Testament, Zechariah, Mary, shepherds, disciples. And this is not a comprehensive list. This is, this is just some of the folks whose call stories in the Bible um, reflect this, this sort of pattern. And, and what the pattern looks like is that it usually, it starts with, some, uh, with a meeting, a meeting between the person and the divine figure or messenger. Um, there's a meeting between the two and that's what sort of starts the story. Then there's some naturally human reaction to the fact that there's this meeting between the person and the, you know, the divine figure and oh my, like a sort of, oh my gosh, reaction. Um, and then the commission itself, God saying to the person, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I'm asking you to do. And then usually, as we'll see, there's some kind of protest uh, from the person, like, uh, are you sure? Or I don't think so. And then a reassurance from God that is sometimes accompanied with like, with a sign. Uh, that I will be with you. Yeah, you have these protests, you have these doubts, you have these misgivings, but um, I, God, will be with you, I will help you, and maybe even I will give you a sign to confirm to you um, that I will be with you as, as you um, obey this command that, I've been that I have given you. So these stories typically start with a meeting and followed by a human reaction to this divine encounter, the, a divine commission, a human protest, and then divine reassurance. So the first um, story we're going to look at is the story of Gideon. Um, and if you're like me, you may not be super familiar with the story of Gideon. I thought I'd just start by even giving some context what's happening here in the story. Whoops, let's try that again. So this is from Judges 6. Yes, Judges 6. Uh, it start here's here's the sort of um, preface to the to the call story itself. 
The text reads, the hand of Midian prevailed over Israel. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the land as far as the neighborhood of Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. Thus, Israel was greatly impoverished because of Midian and the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So they're in, tr they're in trouble. This is a mess. And into this mess, we, we find, we encounter the call story of Gideon. It begins with the meeting. The text reads, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites, lest it be confiscated. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Here's the reaction. And this is an interesting one, actually. Gideon answered him, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us saying, didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. Interesting response, like a challenging response to God, basically saying, oh, you say you're with us, huh? This, what's going on here doesn't really, doesn't really seem like it. I don't, I don't get it. Here's then the commission, the call. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. God's in effect saying, you're right. This is a mess. And I'm choosing you as someone, I'm choosing you as, as the person to help get my people out of this mess. Now the protest. Gideon responded, but sir, it's a funny address, but sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. Basically saying, I don't, I don't fit the bill. I think you, I think you've got the wrong guy as we'll see that this is a common trope. And this followed by the reassurance or sign from God. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And this is the part that's a sign. You shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. So God's saying, okay, yeah, I hear what you're saying about you. You feel like you're not up for the job, but I will be with you. I, the Lord who am commissioning you will go with you. And you'll see that I am indeed going with you by the fact that you'll strike down all of the Midianites. So there's Gideon. Let's take a look now at Moses. I think this is a story that's much more familiar to many of us. We find it in Exodus 3. We'll begin with the, the story here follows the typical trajectory, meeting, reaction, commission, protest, reassurance. So we'll start by looking at the meeting, a story I think many of us are familiar with. It, the text reads, again, this is Exodus 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Then comes the human reaction to this divine encounter. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the commission. Then the Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. So come, 
and I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's a little similar to the Gideon story we just looked at where God's saying, my people are in trouble and I choose you to help get them out of it. And then here comes the protest. And in Moses' case, there are, there are many protests. His initial one, the first thing he says is, uh, he says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Like, who am I? Why, you, why me? And then later, because this sort of back and forth between Moses and God, this negotiation goes on for like into the whole next chapter. So later in chapter four, Moses says to God, oh, my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past or even now that you've spoken to me, your servant. But I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue saying you want me to go talk to Pharaoh, but talking it's not like not really a strength. This whole mission doesn't really play to my strengths. And Moses, you know, he's, he's just telling God, I don't think so. Again, I think you have the wrong person. And this is followed by the, again, by the divine reassurance. God said, I will be with you. And in response to Moses's protest about, you know, being slow of speech, the Lord said to him, who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. So again, there's a like a sort of confession of I'm inadequate, I'm not up for this job, and God saying, I will go with you. I will compensate for your weakness. Um, your, your job is, is to just go. And in fact, this isn't really, this reassurance is not even really the end of the story. Moses doesn't really take this for an answer. They keep sort of going back and forth. And eventually God kind of concedes. Moses is so insistent that he doesn't want to do the talking that he lets his brother Aaron be the, be the mouthpiece for him. But he doesn't let, let Moses, like Moses still has to be the front man. He doesn't let Moses off the hook, but he's like, in the end, okay, fine. You don't have to do the talking. There's Moses. There's our two Hebrew Bible examples um, for the way that this, this pattern tends to look in the biblical text, this pattern of divine call stories. And this pattern, as we'll see, we're going to look at um, two examples from the book of Luke gets repurposed um, and used by some New Testament authors, named especially Luke. Um, so we're going to look now at another very well-known commissioning story of Mary, especially well-known given that we're coming out of the Christmas season. We just finished the Christmas season. So this is from Luke 1. First, there's the meeting between Mary and the angel. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by, a God, was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. The meeting is then again followed by the reaction. But Mary was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. So she's confused, probably alarmed. So we have the meeting, the human reaction, and then following that comes again, the commission. The angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Next, naturally comes the protest. Mary says to the angel, how can this be? Since I am a virgin. She's saying, 
okay, this is impossible. And followed by the reassurance and signs, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And here's the part that's a, that's a sign. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren or nothing will be impossible with God. Saying to Mary, look, you think this is impossible, but this is how it's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And also look, this other thing that seems to be impossible, your, your relative Elizabeth uh, bearing a child, that's also happening as a sign unto you that God is doing this, this great thing. Okay, and lastly, we will look, lastly for the stories that follow the pattern, we'll look at the disciples. And this one even actually um, is, a, is a bit of an exception also, the story in Luke 5. We can see all the elements of the, of the classic pattern are here in this story. There's a meeting, there's a human reaction, there's a commission, a protest, and a reassurance or, and a sign. But as we'll see, in this story with the disciples, the order of them gets, they get sort of mixed up. Um, and the order of them is switched because it's not apparent to the disciples from the get-go. Unlike the other stories we've just looked at, in the disciples' encounter with Jesus, it's not apparent to them immediately that they're having a divine encounter. An encounter. So we'll see how this works out. It does begin with the meeting. So the text in Luke 5 reads, once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets, let down your nets for a catch. Okay, so there's the meeting. Then instead of going to the human reaction, we actually go immediately skip ahead kind of in the pattern and go to the protest. Simon answered, we've, we've worked all night long, but caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Again, there's this kind of like, you're asking me to do this. This is sort of, okay, this doesn't really make sense. I'm challenging and pushing back a little bit, but okay, we'll do it. Next comes the sign and the reassurance. When they had done this, let their nets into the deep as Jesus had, had commanded, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were so heavy, they began to sink. And then having seen this sign, then comes the human reaction. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. So here comes the awe, the humility, the prostration, um, having realized after this miracle happened, having now realized that they were in the presence of the presence of the divine, um, a, fitting, a fitting story for Epiphany. And then after the human reaction, so we've gone meeting, protest, reassurance sign, human reaction. And then finally, the last piece of the story is the commission. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. And when they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. 
So here we can see here in these stories, you can see this the, cla the classic or the components rather of the sort of classic pattern for divine call stories in the biblical text. There's a meeting between a person and uh, either God, God's self, or a like a an angel or a, a messenger, and then there's the human reaction to this divine presence, the di the divine commission. This is what I'm calling you to do. This is what God is asking you to do. The protest, oh, I don't think so. This doesn't make sense or not, surely not me. And then the divine reassurance, I will be with you. I will, I will go with you. And this thing that I'm going to do will be, will be assigned to you. So those are the stories that, that's, that follow the pattern more or less. Um, and then just to kind of like keep it interesting and to, um, you know, sort of keep our, prevent our imaginations for what, what, uh, call stories in the biblical text could possibly look like. We don't want to unduly limit our imaginations. We're going to look just at a couple of outliers too, because for every rule, there's an exception, right? So we're going to look at two stories um, in the Hebrew Bible, call stories that don't really follow anything like this pattern at all. And one of them is the call of Samuel from 1 Samuel, thir 1 Samuel 3. Um, and here I've just exerted like little bits of the text just to sort of summarize it and give you an, an overall idea. So um, the beginning of Samuel's call stories, the, the text reads, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread, which kind of sets us up to think that like Samuel wasn't really, he wasn't, it wasn't sort of on his mind. He wasn't thinking or expecting God to come and speak to him at any moment. Um, and Samuel is a, is a young boy and he's, um, he's living with Eli, the prophet. So God calls Samuel in the night, one night, God calls Samuel three times saying to him, Samuel, Samuel, but Samuel thinks he's, he's not accustomed to this sort of divine calling voice in the middle of the night. He thinks it's Eli calling him. So he goes to Eli every time who says it wasn't me, go lay back down. You're hearing things. And eventually though, after the third time, Eli, you know, being the, the seasoned prophet that, that he is, he he begins to understand what's going on. He's like, oh, God is probably speaking to him. So he instructs Samuel, go lie down. And if God calls you, this is what you should say. You should say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. Eli's a pro, he knows, he knows what to do. So Samuel does this, God calls him again. And Samuel says, speak Lord for your servant is listening. And then God says to him, see, see Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears it tingle. Kind of love that uh, that phrase, and then goes on to explain that God intends to punish the house of Eli, Eli Samuel's mentor. So this is a bit of a uncomfortable message for Samuel to be receiving. Naturally, Samuel was afraid to tell this vision to Eli, um, but the next morning Eli called Samuel and said, "Samuel, my son, what was it that God told you? Don't don't hide it from me." And Samuel goes on to deliver the message. And then the, the end of this, um, this sort of passage or chunk of text tells us that Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Also just lovely phraseology. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. So this is clear, you know, this is, it's a different kind of call story in that um, there's no, we don't find here like a, specific point at which Samuel is commissioned. There is a meeting between Samuel and God. God is speaking to Samuel in the middle of the night, but it's never, we don't hear any words of like, I'm calling you to be a prophet or I'm calling you to, to do X, Y, or Z. 
Um, but we learn at the end that Samuel, after Samuel had this experience with God, um, told the message to Eli, then he grew up and the Lord was with him and that he began, he began to be known and respected uh, as a as the text says, as a trustworthy prophet. So it's almost like he's, his, his sort of call into a prophetic vocation seemingly sort of emerged and formed over time. Um, and also another thing that's, that's unique about this text is that there's, it's not just about Samuel and God and what happens between them, but Eli, his mentor, plays a huge role in this. He tells Samuel, he's the one who alerts him. I think God is talking to you. Um, and this is what you should say back. And then the next day says, hey, you, you, should, you should relay the message that God gave you. He's very much like coaching Samuel in, in, to his, um, in, into his prophetic vocation. Um, so interesting sort of counterpoint to the other, to the other stories that we've looked at, looked at. And then lastly, as the other outlier, we're gonna look briefly at the story of Elisha in 1 Kings 19, um, or Elisha. So, um, this is a this is a short call story, and also I think kind of an interesting one. We have the prophet Elijah, who um, coming sort of from one episode, comes to Elisha, who he found plowing his field, and the text says Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. We don't have like it doesn't say that anything about any words being exchanged, but rather he threw his mantle over Elisha, and then Elisha left the oxen ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my mother and father. So let me go home for a minute, then I'll, then I'll uh, come back and follow you. Elijah gives the okay. So Elijah takes the yoke of oxen that he was using to plow the fields, slaughters them, gave it to the people, people ate, and set, then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. And as we know, a, a prophet in his own right. Um, so this story is, is interesting because uh, God is not really mentioned in it at all. It's clearly some kind of call. Elijah is saying, here, I'm, I'm uh, choosing, anointing, appointing you, I'm not sure exactly the right word, um, to, to come and to, be, to take, on, take on this prophetic role. Elisha kind of says, okay, let me do this one thing, but then says, okay, and, and went and followed him. So here's a, here's like a, a sort of a call story that skips the whole divine encounter a bit in, in the first place. So having looked at these six stories, and there are so many more that we could have looked at, but six stories um, in the Bible in which God calls people to respond in some way, to do something, to take up some um, vocation, to do a specific act, uh, to assent to something, to follow. Um, I thought that we could take some time to think about some questions that these stories might raise for us about our own experience individually as a community of the ways that God is calling us to respond in faith. Um, right now, but also maybe in our, in our, in our life stories and our journeys of faith, ways that we have experienced this before. So some questions that came to my mind as I was thinking about this is just to start to what, to what is God calling us? Where do we sense God is leading us? Where have we sensed that at specific points in our lives? Where do we sense that now? Um, in the stories that we read, you know, people were called to vocations as prophets, liberators. There was like Mary's call, of course, to conceive and bear a child. The disciples were called to follow Jesus. 
Um, for us, I don't know exactly what it looks like. Where do we sense that God might be calling us um, to move more deeply or fully or in a more surrendered way into the work of justice? Where is God calling us more to enter more deeply into loving relationships? Where are we being asked to walk in faith? Um, so that's just one question for us to consider as we kind of place our own experience in conversation with these biblical stories. Another question is how does God's call come to us? Um, I'm guessing most of us have not had um, experiences where we've had visitations from angels or heard God's voice audibly, though I'm not one to ever, you know, completely discount that as a possibility, but I'm guessing most of us don't ready, readily relate to receiving a call from God in such a specific, obvious, and like clearly supernatural way. So then the question is, through what through what kind of media do we experience a call of God? What does that look like for us? Is it, do we feel God calling us to some sort of action or faith response through other people in our lives? Kind of the way that um, Elijah played such a strong role in, in Elisha's story and Eli played such a strong role in Samuel's story. Um, have our own experiences of feeling called by God towards something, have they happened like suddenly sort of in a moment in a flash of insight has it been a, a accumulation of events over time um, has it been through interacting with scripture or the wisdom and stories of other people um, witnessing the examples of others walking in faith how is it that we have come to feel some sort of call of God on our lives and then there's this other question about how we discern God's call. And by that, I mean, once we have this sort of like subjective experience of being felt by God to do something, there's always the question, right? Of like, is that God or is, is that me? Or what really, what really is going, I have this experience, but what really is going on there? Um, and I think, you know, the, in the Anglican tradition, we talk about the, the threefold cord of authority scripture, tradition, and reason as having a special place in guiding us to discerning God's call and will. Um, and also important in, in, that, in that mix, I think, is the, is the role of community. We, see, we saw that in the stories here, some of the stories here that we looked at, um, but people with whom we're in conversation and what kind of feedback do they give us? Um, what do other people think and um, say and how do they respond and react to our own sense of the way God's calling us. I think other people can have a very important role in helping us discern God's call. Um, so there's all, there's, all there's all kind of ways that we figure out how is it, how is it really that God is, um, to what is God calling me and it, like to what sense can I trust this experience that I'm having as a, as a call of God. Um, and then lastly, what are our own reactions, just sort of human reactions to the call of God on our lives. What are our, we saw all of these um, protests from the characters in the Bible, protests of like Mary saying, this is impossible, this doesn't make sense. Moses saying, this doesn't play to my strengths. Gideon saying, yeah, I'm not really like so much of an important person. This doesn't, you know, this doesn't really make sense. All kinds of um, protests and like ways that we might say having felt or heard some way experienced the call of God say yeah 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 I don't think so it doesn't really seem like a good idea um, perhaps it's because the call that we feel the thing that we feel that God is asking us to do feels a little too costly maybe 
emotionally or professionally or financially or in some other way it feels sort of like too much there's all kinds of reasons that we might protest um the call of god that the call that we feel god the thing that we feel god is calling us to do um and i feel like these stories provide sort of interesting um i don't know like paradigms examples that can help us reflect on our own experience of god's call in in all of these dimensions so this week, of course, um, we celebrated the Feast of Epiphany. We commemorated the Magi's journey to, to visit the baby Jesus. And as I was thinking about that and also these call stories at the same time, I thought, hmm, maybe there's a call story in there somewhere with the Magi. They discerned, maybe they divined, they saw a star and they divined that they should, that they should follow it. And I, so I, I was sort of, in thinking about that story, I was hoping that this Epiphany season, God would help us pay, you know, even more close attention to the, the signs in our own world and our own sort of figurative metaphorical skies um, and to pay attention to God's appearances with us, among us, for us in this season of Epiphany. Um, so I, for those of you who can make it to coffee hour on Sunday, I think maybe we'll be talking more about this then. I would really love to hear your thoughts and reactions and your own stories of how you relate and don't relate to the biblical stories that we've talked about. Um, I look forward to talking with some of you more then and to everyone who tuned in. Thanks so much for listening and watching.